Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to say again, thank you so much to everyone who contributed to Operation Santa. We've raised $4,000, which is just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I sent out the gifts on Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday morning before we got a snowstorm. Uh, hopefully they will be arriving soon to the recipients. USPS has really been fucking my gifts around. <laughs> I swear to God, every fucking thing that I've ordered from Etsy, which I ordered, you know, like over Black Friday, um, has been like in transit arriving late. It's so annoying. The tracking is so annoying. But I was able to ship out those gifts um, for the family where the mom had lost the job. I was able to send her a $700 gift card along with each teen a $300 gift card. That's, I think, the thing I'm most excited about. I was able to sponsor a bunch of wishes on One Simple Wish. I can't remember what I talked about on here versus what I talked about on um, my Patreon. Liz explains it all because I gave a long introduction and like explained every single thing that I spent money on and now I can't remember but I think I mentioned one simple wish on here right which is a website because I wasn't able to adopt more Operation Santa letters because they just got adopted so quickly this year I was looking for other ways that I could help and another way that I decided to help was through this organization called One Simple Wish, which works with agencies that uh, have kids in foster care or youth that is aged out of foster care, and they allow them to wish for anything, which I really like because, as you all know, I'm a big believer in not just giving necessities to kids. Uh, I love that they like let the kids ask for Ugg boots and switches and the same shit that every other kid wants. Um, so through One Simple Wish, I was able to, I did fund a computer um, for a student for virtual learning. Uh, I also fund like a shopping spree for a girl. So I would say those were the two necessities, but the non-necessities I was able to fund the wishes for was a a TV for a teenage girl, art supplies for like a younger girl, and also Animal Crossing for a girl. So I was really excited for that. I was also able to directly help two families. I have an internet friend who uh, had posted that her child who had spent significant amount of time in the hospital this fall was, had put a letter up on this, uh, had submitted a letter to this organization called TransSanta, which is very similar to Operation Santa, except that it's geared towards helping trans kids get gifts. And I know that this family has uh, struggled a lot financially. As I said, their child was in the hospital for a significant amount of time this fall. uh, Both the, the parents have some chronic health issues. She doesn't ask for anything and actually does like a ton of work helping other people. And so when I saw that she, uh, that her child had posted uh, for gifts on this trans Santa thing, I was like, well, I want to be able to help the whole family. So I sent her some money directly to get gifts for all the kids. And also there is another woman that she had posted about that is a single mom. She has been without a home for quite a while and has finally gotten into an apartment. And she basically, my friend had posted like, hey, does anybody have furniture in my area that you could help, like that you could donate towards? And so I was able to Venmo her money uh, because I don't live in the area and I don't have furniture to give. So I was able to use some of that to help a 
a woman who, a single mother who's just moved into a new home, get some furniture. So thank you all so much for donating. I'm so, it just, it's so amazing to be able to help so many people, you know, to be able to send like Barbies and slime. (laughs) As I was packing the slime for Little London, I was thinking about how Princess uh, tells her kids that she's allergic to slime and they're not allowed to have slime in the house. And that's something that I deeply support because slime is gross. And I was like, I hope London's mom does not hate me for including slime. But it was on her list along with like LOL dolls, which are not cute. Can we like LOL dolls are not cute. But I was just able to give so much to these families. So thank you all so, so much for everyone who contributed. I love doing this. It feels it just feels so good. Um, Obviously, that's why like we do charity work, right? Because it helps other people, but it makes us feel good. But I'm so glad that we're able to directly help so many people. I, you know, I, I give all the time to organizations. Like I, I mean, I just made today a donation um, in honor of someone I know whose husband passed to a, a bunny rescue, even though I do not like bunnies as a rule, but <laughs> that's where I asked for donations for. So like I donate to that type of stuff. But as you all know, I'm a big believer in what I call micro donations or direct donations where I can just give money directly to people who need it and it can be as little as $5 or it can be significantly more like Operation Santa. So I am so glad we got to do this. I look forward to doing it again next year. Um, we rate, Last year I raised, I looked it up, I raised $2,033 and this year I raised I think like $3,998. So the fact that we were able to double the amount of money we raised is just it's so awesome. So thank you again for all the support. Um, I posted, I mean, if I posted like some of the stuff that I bought on my Instagram stories, but I guess they have disappeared. But <laughs> Follow me on Instagram if you want to see stuff like that. Feathers underscore pod. So yeah, um, I am good. I am officially done with Orno Break, which sucks. I am taking a winter course, which is really fucking hard. I am taking an elective in the public health department, which is cool because I think I want to do macro work and like do stuff in public health. So it's like, oh, this will be good. It's like organizing and like foundation organizing and grant writing, which is probably something that I like. It's something I may be interested. I think the internship that I'm trying to get for next year does a lot of that. So it's like, oh, cool. I'll probably like learn something. Oh my God, it's so much work, which I knew it would be because it's an accelerated class. But like the amount, the work that we have to do is so hard and it's all group work. Thank God I got a good group. I'm so glad. Uh, like we got our group assignments the first day of class. We only have like three or four classes that meet uh, over Zoom. The rest is basically like an online class. And after the first night, I like before class was even over, I like took the initiative and I sent out an email to everybody and everybody responded immediately. Like we were in a group text immediately. We were meeting on Zoom two days later. Um, we're doing everything via Google Doc and we're, they're due on Monday. We have to do these like worksheets. They're due on Monday. Um, we're meeting up tomorrow night, but almost everybody, I think only one girl who she organized a Google Doc, so I have confidence she will do it today or tomorrow. Um, everybody has contributed a pretty significant amount. So thank God there's nothing worse than a group project where the people in your class or your group are not 
are not receptive or responsive. That's what happened to me last semester. It really sucked. I got a good grade on the assignment, but we really turned an assignment that was not up to my standards. So I'm really glad and fortunate to be in such a good group. But yeah, so I'm busy again. <laughs> I had like a week and a half of not being busy. But yeah. Oh, and I got a 4.0 last semester. So that's cool. Actually, like I didn't just get a 4.0. I got 100s in all of my classes. <laughs> Which is really crazy. I can't believe that happened, but I'm feeling really great about it. So hopefully this hard class, <laughs> I'd really like to keep my 4.0. So hopefully I can do that. Anyway, teen mom land. What's going on in teen mom land? Oh, Cheyenne announced she was pregnant, which I'm not surprised. I kind of thought Cheyenne was going to wait until Christmas and announce an engagement and um the pregnancy, like, I thought she would do a cute little, like, we're getting a gift to our family thing, you know, like a lot of people do on Christmas. But then I realized, oh, she was just waiting for the Team Mom OG, like, trailer to come out. I don't know if the actual trailer came out or they just announced it was coming back, but I think they may have just announced it was coming back. I don't think I saw a trailer, but that's, like, what Chelsea did with announcing this newest baby. That's usually what they do. They wait until, like, the trailer comes out because she's obviously going to be pregnant on the show and they're going to show that in the trailer. So, you know, Mazel Tov to Cheyenne. I'm curious to see how long her and Zach have been back together. Um, she's not that far along, which I kind of figured was the case. I figured she just started showing early because it's her second baby. And that definitely happens a lot that you just start showing earlier with your second. So I kind of assumed that she was not that far along, which is why she was not announcing yet. And she basically confirmed that in the the post. So I'm wondering if maybe her and Zach got together Let's say the beginning of the summer got pregnant in August and, you know, now she's three or four months pregnant. I That would be kind of my guess, but it obviously is a little rushed. I have a feeling they are doing that thing that couples sometimes do or people sometimes do where my understanding is Zach and Cheyenne grew up together. I think they're, her stepdad is like very good friends with Zach's dad, if I remember correctly. Do you remember like they would go on guys nights together in the first season? So I think she's known Zach forever. And then her and Zach dated for about a year. Then they broke up. And I wouldn't be surprised if now they're like, okay, well, like, let's just get back together and be married and be a family um, without really consideration of like, we haven't not feeling like they haven't been together for a long time because they have history together. I don't know if that always works out. That's like what Miley and Liam did, right? Like this girl I know did that like she got pregnant pretty soon after getting back together with an ex-boyfriend and was like you've been the biggest part of my life for the last five years and I was like okay well no like for the last year and a half like no he hasn't like <laughs> but okay okay you can say that so I'm curious to see what's up with Zach and Cheyenne she didn't really seem that into him but also like I don't know it's hard to judge that right because she was obviously into Corey at the time and I understand why she was feeling that way about Corey because Ryder was what a year and a half ish when they joined uh Teen Mom. I think she's three now. She I don't know exactly how old she is, but I think she's like three now. So let's say she was a year and a half when she joined Teen Mom. And then she had only found out that Corey was the dad a year before. If you remember at the end of their first season, I believe they had like a a party recognition of Corey like being a dad for a year so I would guess her and Zach 
I think got together like around the time that she was finding out Corey was the dad. My understanding is that Zach is not the guy that she thought was the father because when she got pregnant, she thought it was somebody else's and she was living with that guy. I don't really know. I need Cheyenne to like sit down and like do a full explanation on the timeline of like, this is who I was with. Then I had sex with Corey. Then I got pregnant, but I thought it was his. Um, then we were together, but Ryder got really sick, and so we had to do genetic testing. We found out it actually wasn't his, and that Ryder was Corey's. So I'm guessing she got together with Zach, like, sometime around there, because they were living together, right, in the first season? I don't know. I have questions about Zach and Cheyenne. So, I mean, okay. Like, I guess that will be fun to see. Um, Cheyenne's, like, boring-ish, but I, as I've talked about, like, I love her family like I think her parents are really great her grandmother is always around I think her sister is pretty charismatic and I think obviously like Corey is a douchebag but let's be real like he's pretty charismatic they cast Cheyenne so that Corey could be on Teen Mom like they cast Corey for Teen Mom and Cheyenne just happened to be the woman he had a child with um so I get like I am I am fine with them being on the show but I do still think that Corey and Cheyenne would actually be a lot more interesting in their own show. Now, would I watch it? Probably not, because I don't really watch shows on MTV anymore. I don't really watch new shows that often. Oh, my God. Roku finally got fucking HBO Max, and I, for the last three days, have just been watching Pretty Little Liars nonstop. Like, please, save me. Why am I doing this? I hate Pretty... I hate it. (laughs) But there's something so comforting in how bad it is. And I keep being like, okay, I'm going to watch Flight Attendant, because, like, I've been waiting to watch all this HBO Max stuff because I was refusing to watch it on my laptop and I was not going to cast it from my phone onto the TV. I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. Roku, get it together. I'm also like extremely loyal to Roku. At one point, I tried to uh, switch to a Fire Stick and I fucking hate the interface. I love, love, love Roku. I've had one since I think 2010-ish, maybe earlier. Like I will be loyal to them forever, but I was very angry that I couldn't watch HBO Max, but now I can. So that's really great. Um... Oh, right. So I probably wouldn't watch Corey and Cheyenne's show, but I actually think it'd be pretty interesting for them to be on their own show. I just like I'm not so sure how they fit into the teen mom world. And I also think that Cheyenne is the least interesting out of everybody that we see. So I think it would be cool if they had their own show and like R. Kyle Lynn, her sister. Letter R, Kyle Lynn. But if I think they just call her Kyle. If Kyle could have like a bigger presence, I'm interested in her because she has a son, but I don't know if we've ever seen the son's father around. I don't know if they're together. I'm curious about that. I Like I said, I think her parents are really great. She has that really, remember when her dad showed up and was like a little drunk and like really charming on camera? I would like that. I like that. Like she has a really cool blended family dynamic, especially now if Zach's dad is like best friends with her stepdad. I think that's like a really interesting spin and obviously like Corey and Corey doing like his challenge stuff I think would be interesting. I just think on Teen Mom because Shy has to be the star of it. It's kind of a dud because Cheyenne is not that entertaining. (laughs) Cheyenne's pretty boring on her own. So what else are the storylines? I was reading on the Ashley. She said that Amber's storyline this season is her considering moving onto Gary's property to be closer to Leah, which I, I mean, I guess <laughs> I kind of doubt it happened, but look, do I think that's a good idea? No, of course I don't think that's a good idea. Are you crazy? No, 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 no. If I was Christina, would I let that happen? No, 
never. But I do understand in these unprecedented times how, like, one could think that maybe is a good idea. Because if you'll remember, like, Amber rents a house. Like, she lives alone in the rented house. And I believe Andrew and James still live in the other house that I don't know if she actually owns. I remember she, like, made it seem like she owned that house. But I can't remember if it came out that she actually owned it or not. But the big house that she moved into when she was with Matt that Andrew moved into and that Andrew and James are still in, in my opinion, rightfully. Like, that's James's home. Um, I don't really see a problem with them being there personally. But I can understand if Amber's, like, in a rental, she's all alone during the pandemic, like, really isolated. I guess I can understand a situation in which she temporarily moves on to Gary's property. I don't know. Normally, I'd be like, that is no. That's absolutely no. But I do think that like COVID is making for strange bedfellows, right? Like COVID has really flipped everything upside down. And I can see how like just being in total isolation, like living by yourself could be, I'm sure is like very hard, especially for somebody like Amber, who already is very isolated just regularly. And then this guy that she's seeing can't get back to America. I have no idea if she and that guy are still together. Amber is actually, to give Amber credit, Um, after her last, like, social media meltdown, she, like, really has been off social media. My understanding is that she, like, will go on Snapchat or Instagram stories every once in a while to post, like, heavily filtered to the fact that she looks like a Bratz doll, uh, like, selfies of herself, but that's really all she posts. So credit to Amber for that because we know that she gets really, really chaotic on social media. That's the word for it, chaotic. Remember when she was doing those lives when she was with Matt? For whatever reason, Amber screaming, I have the best fucking internet ever will like be seeped into my brain because her live is like freezing and someone's like, you need better internet. And she's like, I have the best fucking internet. <laughs> classic. It's classic. But I definitely like can see how Amber in those times maybe wanted to move in with Gary. I, not move in. I, like, they have that huge property. So I wonder if there's, like, a like a second house on that property somewhere. I would say, like, guest house, but I don't know if that's the correct term for it. Like, I, they have a ton of acreage, I believe. So I wonder if it's, like, on the other side of the property, just, like, a little house on the other side of the property, or if they have, like, an in-law suite above the garage, something like that. I don't know. I think that I can understand her desire to do that and I can understand but I don't think it would be in the best interest of Leah um I don't think it'd be in the best interest of Leah to be seeing her mom that often because I I mean I guess it depends on like where Amber is uh with her mental health but my guess just based on what we see on the show is that it's probably not great and for that reason like Leah probably shouldn't be around Amber every day that's really the only storyline that like jumped out at me I guess with Macy of course like Bentley wants to be closer with Ryan so she's gonna give that another try which is nice I guess (laughs) I guess um Caitlin and Tyler's will mostly be around the miscarriage she had in November but like that was in November over at the like at Thanksgiving so at the end of November so like less than a month ago so what the fuck is happening for the rest of the season with them I'm Kate having another baby was a choice. 
trying to have another baby is a choice. I don't, I don't quite understand it. I don't quite understand it. But I guess that's going to be their main storyline. And of course, with Mackenzie McKee, it's going to be her and Josh divorcing and not divorcing and her moving to Florida and then Josh coming to Florida. I actually am looking forward to that. Um, I hope that they just lay it all out there, which I kind of think they may. I hope they do because that's like what's going to save the show. <laughs> not really looking forward to OG coming back. It's at the end of January. So, you know, we'll see, right? We'll see what what this new season is like I'm I don't know I don't like I mean hopefully the filming is done by producers because like I don't like the self-film stuff as I've talked about I just it doesn't jive for me like they need production there the show is boring enough on its own so I hope that like Mackenzie McKee can really deliver I hope that Amber can deliver and then like that Cheyenne, Mace, Macy, and Caitlin have like bearable scenes. <laughs> That's what I hope for Teen Mom OG. Um, the other thing that happened this week is Janelle went on a podcast that I don't even know the name of. And within 12 hours of it being up, the people took the podcast down because uh, they got a lot of hate for Janelle going on that podcast, which look, I know there are mixed feelings on. On one hand, it's like, stop trying to like attack Janelle no I get why people are like if you hate her so much like why don't you just like leave her alone like I do understand that but I personally I don't know Janelle's a really bad person and David is a really bad person and I think that if you are willing to have Janelle on your podcast or you're willing to give money to Janelle to sponsor your shit then you should be ready to hear shit about it like Janelle is so fucking racist she's homophobic she's transphobic she abuses animals she abuses her children like she's such a bad person that I I don't have a problem with people being like, why the fuck would you give her a platform? I really don't. I think that that is a fair question. I think if you have Janelle on your platform, like you should be ready to answer to that. And if you can't answer to that, then I guess you take the podcast down. I, because I don't really have guests that I don't know, I've never had a situation in which I had to take a podcast down. I have had, um, on my Patreon once, I definitely like misspoke not misspoke, but like I said something shitty and one of my dear friends called me out on it. It's like, yo, why would you say that? That was racist what you said because I was like making excuses for Shane Dawson basically. And I was like, oh, well, he you know, he doesn't like hate black people after like I explained for a million years of why he did. I just, I don't know. I like automatically said that. And so at the beginning of the episode, I like edited, well, I I don't remember if I edited that part out or if I just like put an introduction at the beginning of the episode, basically apologizing, just straight up apologizing. I was going to say clarifying, but there was no clarification. I just said something really shitty. So I wanted to correct myself. Um, but I don't think I've ever had to take down an episode because like I said, I don't have um, like people on my podcast like that. Like I don't have controversial figures on my podcasts ever. Uh, the people, especially like on feathers in my hair, the people I have on are my friends. <laughs> and I also think I've like, a, most of the time, obviously not during that, in that episode, uh, that Shane Dawson episode on my Patreon, but like most of the time, I think I have a pretty good judge of like what 
should be said versus what shouldn't be said or like what would come off offensive versus what wouldn't come off offensive and I think that if I like did have somebody on and they were like speaking wildly in a way that I wasn't expecting I just wouldn't put the episode out at all um so I I don't know what I would do if I had somebody like Janelle on my podcast because the reality is, is I wouldn't have somebody like Janelle on my podcast I just wouldn't um not like I don't mean just like as a teen mom but like i I'm not interested in, like, having controversial figures come on my platform and people who spew hate regularly coming on my platform. So I think that, like, if you do that, you should have to answer for it. Now, am I contacting them and be like, take the, take this fucking episode down? No, because the reality is, is I just don't have the energy when it comes to Janelle anymore. But there have definitely been times where when Saucy Schroeder, like, was really, really shitty on her podcast, I emailed her sponsors when she said that like women deserve to be raped essentially on her anti me too podcast episode which was it's honestly I went back and read the transcript not long ago and it's even worse than I remember in some aspects so like I've done that and I think that like if you believe that Janelle is a bad person like it is in your right to contact her sponsors or contact people who are giving her a platform because the reality is is nobody should be sponsoring her and nobody should be giving her a platform right? Like, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, but I guess on this podcast, I read the Ashley's recap of it, or she recapped half of it. And basically, she said, Janelle said that, like, Chelsea was always edited like the golden child. And she knew things behind the scenes that she's not going to put out there. But she knows. And it's like, yeah, she was edited like the golden child. She said she still doesn't really understand why she was fired. Because on camera, she did so much illegal shit. Like, you know, had producers in her car when she went and picked up weed and drove around with it. They watched her, like, nod out on camera. They followed her getting heroin. Like, she's like, so this thing that happened off camera, I don't really understand why I was fired for it. Mm-hmm. Sure, hun. I'm sure you don't understand. She also is still claiming, it's so weird because she's like, I wasn't fired, but then she's like, I don't understand why I was fired. <laughs> <laughs> because she says when MTV fired her, what they did was they called her and was like, well, we're not bringing you back from this season, but we're not firing you. We're letting you go. And she's like, so they did not fire me. And yet they won't come out and speak up for me. <laughs> oh, you dumb, dumb. Oh, you dumb, 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 dumb. She's so stupid. She's so stupid. I do think that the one thing that will go too far is I do believe that eventually if Janelle is forced to or has the motivation to get a non-public job, that if people figure that out, they will attempt to get her fired. Like Janelle could get a job at a call center. And if anybody on the internet found out about it, there would be like 10 to 15 of her like most dedicated haters that would like call that place and try and get her fired. I do think that's where like the line is drawn. I think that for all public stuff, and by that I mean like all influencing stuff like TikTok, sponsorships, podcasts, TV shows, like anything in which like it's forward facing in public, I think that people have the right to speak out against that, if you will. But when it comes to like private stuff, I think that they should leave her alone. But she's not going to get a job, so it doesn't matter. Okay, I just realized I haven't taken a break. So we will take a quick break and then we will get into this week's Teen Mom. So, was this episode good? No. Has this show been good? No. Do at least a couple of the segments have some interesting shit to talk about? 
Sure. Sure. Uh, so we'll knock out the ones at first that don't, which obviously, guess who we're going to start with? <laughs> who doesn't have anything interesting to talk about? Can you guys guess? I'm going to give you one second for you all to guess. It's Chelsea. So she's talking about Aubrey starting a new school. And I'm assuming the new school that she started is um, because she's in fifth grade. I was like, oh, well, is she going to middle school? But I don't. I know some places fifth grade goes to middle school, but I think they even said like it was her last year of elementary school. I'm pretty sure the new school is the school that's by the new house because the new house is 45 minutes away. If you'll remember, like Mary cried because they were moving so far away. So I'm guessing because I think they're living in the new house now, but they were always kind of planning on moving in this fall. I'm sure they just used that address and started her at the school and then just drove her back and forth because they don't have jobs so they can do that, which makes sense. I mean, I think that was obviously if your child is like if you're moving schools because you're, if your child is moving schools because you're moving, obviously the best case scenario is for them to start at the beginning of the year. And if not the beginning of the year, at least like after winter break. But obviously the beginning of the year is the best time for that to happen. So that made sense to me. However, I'm sure it's a long drive back and forth. I don't know. Aubrey seems so old in this episode, like not, not in a bad way. She just like looks she looks so old. Um, we got a scene of Chelsea at Laurie Bell's. What what one thing I did think was weird is they were looking, they were talking about utility jackets and distressed hoodies. And Laurie was like, well, these were supposed to come out in March, but because of COVID, all our manufacturers got shut down, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so you're the same thing that you're launching now. I'm assuming this, if Aubrey started school, that this is like August, September, like, you're launching the same thing in August and September that you were going to launch in March? Like, what? Why? What? Like, that doesn't seem right. But I don't know. Chelsea being like, I'm a fashion girl is really just funny to me. (laughs) She's like, this is all of my stuff. And I don't know. It's like, I'm glad she found something that she liked. But it's also just silly. Like, we all know that she's not really doing anything there. Um, of course, we get another shot of the house because, God forbid, we get one episode without them tramping around their new house. And we need to talk about Chelsea going to see her friend Laura. I think that's her name. It's either Laura or Lauren. I mean, Laura and Lauren are the same name, right? Like, they're basically the same name. Um, This is a longtime friend of hers. I believe that they have kids that are like almost all of the same age and they're both pregnant with their fourth right now. Did you notice they showed up in the same exact outfit? (sighs) And that Laura talks exactly like Chelsea or Chelsea talks exactly like Laura. Did we notice that they were wearing the literal same outfit? (laughs) I was like, what the, why are they not acknowledging this? It looked crazy. It looked so crazy. We found out that Laura had COVID at one point. She's better now, but she was pregnant when she had it. So that's scary. And Chelsea says, she's like, Laura's like, well, you know, I was taking all the precautions and I still got it. And Chelsea's like, I know we're being so safe too. But like, I'm pretty positive I saw Laura. uh, I think her name is Lauren, not Laura. I don't know. I'm pretty positive I saw her pop up on Chelsea's Instagram this summer with, like, large groups of friends over for, like, 4th of July. And whenever we 
everybody tells me they've been taking all of the precautions. I'm like, have you? <laughs> have you really? I think people need to be honest with what they're doing, which is what I try and do is like, we're all taking calculated risks, right? Some of us are trying our best, but still making decisions consciously, which we know are unsafe. And I know I'm doing that. I'm so sick of people deluding themselves into like, we're being so safe. Like, I'm so sick of people talking about their pods. Like, you're not in a pod. Your kids go to school. Like, you can't. A pod only exists if like your kids, you are home all of the time. And so is that other family. And the only other people that either one of you see is that other family. Like, that's a pod. So I'm really sick of people being like, I'm with my pod. And I'm like, okay, but like the husband goes to work. Your kids are in school. Like, you go shopping all the time. Like, that's not a pod. That's just like you're not seeing as many people, which is still good. Like, don't get me wrong. Only hanging out with like a couple families is good. Like, that is a calculated risk that we're all, you know, we all have to make our own decisions. I just hate this like false notion of like we're we're taking all of the precautions. And I, I kind of think that this has been a problem the whole time of COVID. I think that the messaging has been wrong since June. I don't know. When did everybody decide COVID was over? At like the end of May is when people were like, mm, I'm pretty done with this. I think that like, I think what the government fucked up with, and I really noticed this over Thanksgiving, um, is that the messaging should have been since, since they noticed people were just like not caring about regulations anymore. The messaging should be like, what risk is worth it? How much of a risk is each thing? What is this calculated risk versus that cal- calculated risk? Like, how to assess your risk special? Like, I just think that there is a lot of... St- I think we're teaching people the wrong thing. I don't really know exactly how to explain it, but I think that if we're realistic about how people are going to be following the rules, that we should at least be honest and, like, stop letting people say they're in pods when they're not. <laughs> I just listened back to that little segment. I say like so much. I don't know how people listen to me. It's obnoxious. I don't know how to stop it. I don't hear myself doing it. And then I listen back and I'm horrified at how much I say like. I I don't think I could listen to this podcast. I think that would drive me fucking insane. How do you stop saying like, especially when you're in this trance, which I am in on this show and not thinking about the things that I'm saying and just like verbal diarrhea in, how do you stop saying like? Oh, it's not good. Do I talk like that in my regular day? I must. Is this how I speak at work and in school? Oh, God. Oi, 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 oi. Okay, so whatever. Laura also says that she's glad she got COVID because it took away some of the fear, which, okay. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> All right, let's go on to Kale. Kale's whole episode, basically, she is not happy with virtual schooling. She just feels that it's really overwhelming and really hard. And there are so many websites that like a lot of stuff is getting missed. So she'll be, she went and checked Joe or Isaac's work and she noticed that like half of his assignments weren't done, but she was like, Joe told me that Isaac 
sat and worked every day until three o'clock. So how is it possible that he isn't doing this work? Like, I don't think Joe is not doing it. I think that if you just miss this one website, then you miss so much work. And I don't really understand how we keep track of that. And I really felt for Kale in that moment. That is tough. I, I definitely felt for her. Virtual school is really fucking hard. It's hard for teachers. It's hard for students. And especially it's hard for parents. Kale says like she has to sit with Lincoln all day because Isaac can pretty much be on his own. I mean, he's in fifth grade and just personality wise, he's mild mannered and seems to follow the rules. And I imagine Lincoln is more wild and she has to sit there all day with him. I, I don't know how anybody is getting like with little kids is getting virtual school done. It must be so hard. Also, I'm listening to myself speak and like trying not <laughs> and like trying not to say like, oh, OK, I need to like zone back out of that because it's not helpful if I just like listen to myself talk. That's not entertaining because then I edit myself and I don't want to edit myself. I don't know, guys. Maybe I'll watch a YouTube video on how to stop saying like. But Kale's frustrated, but she also understands that it's not Joe's fault, which I thought was really big of her. She didn't jump right to blaming Joe. She just was like, I'm really fucking frustrated. Like, this is really hard. I really don't like doing this. Isaac, I guess, is going to be going back to two-day-a-week school soon. I wonder if that's still happening. I think most of the schools up here um, went fully back online, at least for a while. I don't know... Like, I know that the school district I grew up in with, I grew up in with, I grew up in just went fully online, but I'm not sure if it's for, you know, until spring or what the plan is. I would imagine a lot of them are reassessing after winter break, but, you know, that's only a couple weeks away, so I'm not sure what the plan is. I wonder, though, if Isaac is still going to school every two week, two days a week. Then we see, they talk about V and Kale's new podcast. I am so uninterested in V and Kale's podcast. Baby Mama No Drama is a name I despise. I despise that. I hate it. I really do not like it. I also don't like the name Coffee Convos. So here we are. I do believe it's pretty popular, the podcast. Kale posted a, maybe a month ago that it already had 1 million downloads, which Feathers in My Hair does not have 1 million downloads. <laughs> I think it's close. I think I'm in the 900,000s or something, but I don't have 1 million downloads, which is, you know, whatever. This is not a huge popular podcast, which honestly I prefer. Oh, I, I don't think I could handle having a really popular podcast. I get annoyed enough with people like really thinking that they are my friend and that everything that they want to say to me is okay to say to me, which is tough for me to deal with if I'm being honest. So I can't imagine if I was actually well known for podcasting. Like I listen to Who Weekly and in one of the episodes I heard Bobby mix up Flat Stanley and Elf on the Shelf and I just like full body cringed because I was like, oh my God, he is going to get so many calls about that. And they said they got 66 calls about it. And I just couldn't deal with that. I could not deal with that. But I guess KLMV's podcast is successful. Whatever. Apparently, Kale's been spewing full anti-vax propaganda on Coffee Convos. Her and Lindsay will not be getting the vaccine. Surprise, surprise. It's just so fucked up. 
that you're just allowed to have a platform where you make money on where you spew hurtful propaganda. It's, I don't know how to fix it, but there has to be a way to fix that. Um, so this episode, she has Joe on and it's not interesting. I don't know. There's like, I just don't really care about, unless there's like something really scandalous and exciting going on, I I don't care. <laughs> I just don't. I don't find the V, Joe, and Kale dynamic that interesting. The thing that I do find interesting is the fandom insisting, insisting that V hates Kale. Like, they're always like, oh, V is such a saint. Like, look at her just, like, putting up with Kale. And it's like, okay, except now she's doing a business venture with Kale. Like, she clearly does not hate Kale the way that people want her to. I do think something interesting about Kale is that no one in her life seems to hate her nearly as much as the fandom does. <laughs> people hate her for the way that she's treated Javi and Joe, but neither Javi or Joe seems to hate Kale. It seems like she's a forgivable person in real life um, because I she does like, yeah, she'll have friendship fallouts, but then they seem to get back together like Bone was in this episode. Did you notice that her friend Bonnie named called Bone? She and Bone had a big falling out, I believe, over Chris. But look, Bone's back. Um, her and Javi are constantly falling out and then making up. I feel like Kale is somebody that in real life, is less obnoxious, I guess, than she is on TV, just based on, like, her relationships. Because I think that when you're watching this, you expect everybody in Kale's life to hate her, but that doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> it just doesn't. All right, let's jump over to Brie. This is weird, right? This is, I don't understand <laughs> Brie. Okay, for the first thing I want to say is I've seen so many comments being like, why does Brie call her job a corporate job? What the fuck? She thinks she's so official. Like, guys, she's just calling it a corporate job to distinguish between her MTV job and that beauty bar job thing that she owns. Corporate job is indistinguishable from corporate office, nine to five. She's not saying it to be like, and I have a corporate job. Like, no, it's so clear she's not doing that. She's just saying it to explain that she has a nine to five job. Could she just say nine to five or office job? Sure. But there's no, she works in an office that sells timeshares, but she is not a timeshare salesperson. She works in like the back office. And I guess I read some comment that apparently her office has really great benefits and she does pretty well. And it's a pretty low-stakes job, so it's worth her staying at. Okay. On to what I'm fucking confused about. Brie makes no sense to me when it comes to Devon and visitation. Because all of a sudden, you know, she'll be like, I don't... Where's Devon's family? Devon's mom doesn't come around. Then Devon's mom comes around once, and she sends Nova over there for two days during the school week. And now she's, like, fighting with Devon, but she's like, okay, so I want Nova to go over there from Sundays to Tuesdays. What? I don't get it. Like, you either trust them or you don't. Are you that, I don't want to say desperate to have her go to her dad's. I don't think that's the right word. But, and I do understand that Devon works in restaurants, so weekends probably aren't 
possible for her to go over there. I think he said that he goes into work at 8.30, and I'm assuming he means 8.30 at night. He's probably bartending or serving tables at, like, a late-night place. And if you're closing, going in at 8.30 isn't crazy late, if, especially if you close after 3 o'clock. So I, I don't think it's probably possible for her to be there on the weekends. I just... I don't, I thought Brie doesn't trust Devon, right? Like, that's always been the impression that I get. But then she's, like, willing to send Nova over there for three days a week? Like, she's willing to essentially fully split custody? It's crazy. It really is crazy. I, and Roxanne says the same thing. Roxanne's like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And Brie's like, well, it makes sense to me. And Roxanne says which I agreed with at the moment and then really agreed with later, Roxanne's like, he has roommates. Like, you can't just be sending her over there whenever because, like, there are roommates. It's like a frat house. And she's totally right. Devon is, what, 23, 24 years old. He probably lives with another guy in his early 20s. Like, you can't just be sending a little kid over there whenever to spend the night whenever because they're partiers, I'm sure, especially if Devon's working in the restaurant industry. I'm just sure that he, the roommate, like, did not sign up to have Nova over there three nights a week. <laughs> you know, like, that's a lot of time to have a little kid in your space, especially if, like, you smoke weed in your apartment and you drink and then suddenly there's this little kid in your space. Roxanne's like, no, this is a bad idea. This is not going to work. And Bree's like, it is a good idea. It is a good idea. It's a good idea for me. Just because it's not a good idea for you doesn't mean it's not a good idea for me. <laughs> She's, like, really snapping at Roxanne over this, and Rox is like, okay, okay, because she knows it's not going to fucking work out, and she's not going to fight with Brie over it. I do notice that she doesn't fight with Brie a lot. She just will be like, okay, and then she's almost always right, and what happens? Brie calls Devon. He's like, yep, that sounds so good. I We can totally do that. I'll take her to and from school and gymnastics, and then pick her up I understand like it is a lot that she is working and then she picks up Nova from school and then takes her right to gymnastics and has to pick her up from gymnastics she also has to pick up Stella in that and I'm sure gymnastics like we don't know how far away gymnastics is from their house and when you're on a gymnastics team it's like a lot you're not just going once a week she's probably going four ish days a week so I understand her wanting Devon to help more but I feel like the way that you have Devon help instead of just sending Nova over there multiple times for three nights a week like out of the blue the real help is having you know of course she sees him for regular days but have Devon pick her up from school and take her to gymnastics and that way you only have to pick her up from gymnastics that seems like the more obvious choice and I Devon did say something that he was doing that and then Brie like cut him off when they got into a fight which sounds accurate (laughs) sounds accurate but after she talks to Devon she's like all right I'll just talk to Nova and see what Nova thinks about it and so they are all eating dinner the whole fam Nova, little Stella, Brie, Rox, and Britt and Brie is asking Nova if she wants to go over there and Devon or Devon Nova's like, no, I don't, I don't want to. (laughs) She's like, they blast loud music. And Bree's like, well, what if I, what if they don't blast loud music when you're there? Because like Roxanne said, it's a party house. Like these are young guys in their 20s. 
it's not a space for a little kid like it is at the De Jesus family's house. Like they've had kids living with them since Nobu was born. Like it is a kid friendly home. They don't have huge parties there. They're not blasting music. They're probably smoking weed outside, not inside. <laughs> so Nova is like, no. And Roxanne asks directly, like, well, what makes you uncomfortable? Why are you uncomfortable there? And she says, well, you know, there's only boys there. And here there's only girls. And there there's only boys. And it's like, yeah, that would be uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I think Nova's probably comfortable with Devon. But she's not comfortable with the strange man that's her a roommate. Like, she doesn't know him. And she really doesn't spend a lot of time around men. Which, look... I see all the time people blame Brie and the coven for, but it's not their fault that the fucking dads don't come around. That's not their fault. Nova should be more used, more comfortable spending time with men, but her dad didn't come around for five years of her life or six years of her life. So she's not. And I think that Devon, until Devon has his own spot without a roommate, I personally don't see him like sharing a significant amount of overnight time with Brie. I just don't. Obviously, there are definitely situations where it works out to have um, a roommate, right? Like, there are plenty of parents that live with a roommate and have their kids there. Plenty. For sure. I'm not saying that, like, if you are a parent, you cannot have a roommate. But I think for their situation, for Brie, Nova, and Devon, I don't really see Nova, like, being comfortable having a home Unless Devon has, like, his own apartment. Because Nova is so shy. Nova also has, you know, her own house. Like, she's like, well, I want to stay at my house where I know everybody. And she's also just not that comfortable with Devon anyway. Because she doesn't know Devon that well, unfortunately. So, I think that if Devon can get his own spot, which he probably can't afford because one-bedroom apartments are really expensive, nevertheless two-bedroom apartments if he gets a spot for him and Nova. I'd imagine he just gets one. I think he has a serious girlfriend now, so maybe he and his serious girlfriend will move in together and then Nova can come stay. That would probably be a little better situation for Nova if she likes the girlfriend. I just don't think that, like, I think usually when roommates and a kid situation is happening, it's with, like, older adults. Like, somebody is renting out rooms in their house like an adult is renting out rooms in the house that they own and so like a a dad and his kid move in but I don't think it really works in situations where the roommate is 22 years old and like parties and listens to loud music and wants to smoke pot I mean obviously look everybody had like there are financial reasons that people do this I'm not I hope I'm being clear that like I shit happens and like for some people that is the only living situation that they can have and I totally understand that and I do not judge that and fucking housing is so expensive it's so expensive it's unaffordable for many many Americans which is a whole nother story but I I get it I just mean in the case like this specific case where there it there are options as far as like where the child sleeps and one option is like her home with her her grandma and her mommy and her titi and her sister where she's lived her whole life and she loves them and she feels so comfortable and the other option is her dad who she doesn't know that well and like a strange man that she doesn't know at all like 
I, I don't think that will work out for them. But I hope that Devon, as he's getting older and getting more money and obviously like really becoming more mature, thankfully, little by little, he's becoming more mature. I hope that maybe like he and his girlfriend can move in and that can be a better situation for Nova to sleep over in. But once again, like this is just Brie setting herself up for failure. Like there's no way that she thought Nova would be comfortable with that. Right. And like that's why she got mad at Roxanne because she knew Roxanne was right. She when Roxanne was like, "Mm, that's not a good idea. She's like, well, it is for me because she knew it wasn't a good idea. She knew it. (laughs) There's no way. Also, she doesn't want. I don't get it. I don't really get what she wants. She wants help, but I don't think she quite knows what kind of help that she wants. Uh, There is a really funny moment where (laughs) Nova's kind of talking about why she's uncomfortable and Britt, who is, I love Britt so much. She's like, no, share your feelings. Like, why are you uncomfortable? And why? And she says, the guy just walks in and says, hi. But it sounds like he says, get high. And Rox and Britt at the both time say, he gets what? <laughs> it really sounds like she says he gets high. I actually had to rewind it to even understand what she was saying in her clarifying thing. And she says, he says hi. <laughs> that was, re- it really made me laugh. I mean, I'm sure the get high thing is correct. But just like Britt and Rox both at the same time being like, what? <laughs> I so love that Britt. Like, was like, tell us your feelings. I think that Roxanne and Britt and Brie have a million issues, right? And the way that Brie sometimes puts ideas into Nova's little head, I notice. I notice she does it. But I also do like that they give her the floor to speak and that she feels comfortable being able to say, like, I don't like dad's roommate. I think that's good. There's also a little moment where Stella just declares, I don't like my daddy. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Brie goes, no, you have to like your daddy, which, okay, once again, and then Britt's like, well, no, why, why don't you like your dad? Because once again, Britt's like, come on, express yourself. And obviously Stella is not even three here, or maybe she had just turned three. She's, she must be three here because this is like fall 2020. So Stella, I'm sure, does not have the vocabulary or emotional maturity to explain in detail about why she does not like her father. But the fact that she was like declaring it, I don't know what I would say in that situation. I understand instinctively why they're like, no, no, don't say that because she is still a baby, right? Like, It's one thing for someone who's Nova's age, like a seven-year-old, to say, like, I don't like my dad because she's old enough to know if, like, her feelings are being validated or not. And I actually think they did a pretty good job validating her feelings in this conversation about going to Devon's because they didn't make her go. They were like, okay, that makes sense. We get it. We understand why you're not comfortable there. I thought they did a decent job. Brie wasn't like, well, you have to go anyway. Brie was like, okay, I understand. And they talked a lot about the roommate and why it wasn't great and why she liked being at her own house. Like, I thought they did a good job with Brie or with Nova. I don't know. Stella's still very little. And I don't, I don't think it's right to say that a child has to love their dad, right? Especially their dad that they don't know. They don't know. They even go Lewis because, like, she doesn't know her dad so much that they have to use her for his first name. 
You know what I mean? Because there's no man that comes around called daddy for her. There's Lewis, and she hears him talking about Lewis, but there's no man that they call daddy that she sees. So, I... Roxanne's like, no, don't say that. I don't know. I think it's really important to validate kids' feelings and emotions, but at the same time, I also think that Nova's, or Nova, Nova, Brie, there's so many people in this family. I think that Stella is still very young, and I don't necessarily have a problem with them being like, no. I think maybe they could have been like, well, okay, I'm sorry you feel that way. I just think that she's still a little young to be worried about, like, they're, like, invalidating her feelings when it comes to her father. I think that, like, the concept of father is probably still pretty abstract for Stella. Um, It would be one thing if she was, like, hurt and crying and they're like, you're not hurt, get up. Like, that, because kids under, a three-year-old can understand that. And I think if they had spoken to her in a mean way about it, and they're like, don't say that. Why would you say that? But they used calm voices. They were nice about it. Um, I I don't know. I saw some criticism for it, and I I see both sides. I I don't think it's good to tell kids that they must feel a certain way about anything. But I also think that three is still very young, and that like the concept of a father is so very abstract to Stella. Um, I think that kids that probably grow up with a father in a home have a little more understanding of it but for Stella who does not have a regular father figure in her life and is so young I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to be like no you like your daddy and which is what they say and when they're like well why don't you like Lewis why don't you like your dad um (laughs) Britt is so funny she goes tell us how you feel I love Stella. I love Stella so much. I love Britt, like, talking to the three-year-old, like, being like, well, how do you feel? Let us know. I thought it was so cute. And Stella just says, well, I like Devon, which we know. We know that Stella, like, really likes Devon. When Devon comes over, she likes to hang on him. And Brie, I I liked what Brie said here. She's like, that's okay. I like Devon, too. We all like Devon. But your your daddy loves you. She said something like that. I don't know. Is it good to tell kids their daddy loves them if their daddy doesn't come around? Are you just setting up your child to believe that people love them even when they don't come around or show them any affection or show them any acts of love? I'm not sure. I'm really... But then, like, what? You tell a kid that their dad doesn't love them? Does that, Is that better? I don't really... I don't know... This is so beyond my pay grade and, like, my understanding of parenting that I will not even pretend to know what the best thing to do in this situation is. But I can definitely see, like, why people had feelings against the scene or why people didn't think it was that big of a deal. I can really see both sides here. And I think that what they said, I don't think it's that deep when Stella says, but I I like Devon. I don't think it's that deep. I saw some people on Reddit being like, isn't it so sad that, like, Stella, like, isn't going to be Devon, like, is going to think Devon's her dad and he's not her dad. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think she said I like Devon because she does know that Devon is Nova's daddy, whatever that means. She likes Devon. He'll bring her a gift every once in a while. He picks her up when he's there. Devon is, like, nice and mild-mannered. Um... So she likes Devon, and she knows Devon is dad, a dad, and he's the only dad in their orbit, because we know Brie 
uh, and Britt's dad isn't around. Brittany's biological father has passed. I don't think there is a grandfather that we've heard them mention that is, like, active or around. Maybe there's one living in New York. Maybe he's passed away. I mean, because, you know, that would make sense. They are in their 20s. It would make sense if their grandparents had passed away. So I think that Devon is really the only person called dad that Stella really is aware of. And I think that she knows that she likes Devon. So her saying like, I don't like my daddy. I like Devon. I don't think what she's saying is like, I want Devon to be my daddy. I think that she just knows like the very general concept of, I guess, actually not even the concept of being dad, she knows that Devon is called dad and that she knows she likes Devon. And she knows there's this other guy named Lewis who she's seen a couple times and they talk about and she doesn't like him because he doesn't pay her any attention. He's weird and standoffish. And when he just comes around, she's like, ooh, get away from me. So I think for her three-year-old mind, I don't think she's saying like, I love Devon and I want him to be my father. I think what she's saying is, I like Devon. <laughs> I think it's like that simple. And yeah, I mean, look, what the reality is, is that Devon is not really an active dad to Nova. I don't think there's going to be a ton of confusion as Stella grows up. I think that once Stella gets a little older and Devon's a little further, I'm sure he'll let Stella like hang out with them. I don't think there's going to be a huge thing where, unfortunately, or for, I don't know, I don't know what's better, but I don't think it's going to be like Nova has this incredible fucking dad in her life and is with her dad every weekend and he gives her all this stuff and has so much love for him, him and then Stella never sees her dad ever. I think it's going to be more like Stella doesn't see her dad and Devon comes around every once in a while to see Nova. I don't really see that changing that much. Brie also, like, ends the episode just saying how sad she feels because her dad isn't around and she just feels really sad that she's continuing the cycle, which I think is some real shit that a lot of people deal with. And I think the sad thing is, is that a lot of people don't put two and two together until they already have children. And by two and two, I mean, they don't put together that their feelings about their dad and, like, the the issues that they have from not having a father, why they decided to have children with such unreliable people for a lot of the reasons, you know, it's like, I hate to say daddy issues, because I think parenting issues is the more correct thing, because we can have mommy issues, we can have daddy issues, the really, the real issue is like abandonment from our parents, and so we pick unsuitable figures, and then it's not until we're a little older and wiser that we can realize like, oh, I I didn't actively mean to do this, but I did this. So how how do I fix this? And I hope that Brie, in all of her faults, is able to figure out a way to fix this more than Roxanne was, right? Like, I mean, I don't know, because Brittany hasn't repeated the same mistake. Brittany doesn't have kids. Like, Brittany, she did have an abortion and 16 pregnant, but, like, Brittany hasn't, hasn't repeated this. But I hope that Brie is able to... I don't know, prevent this from happening. Let's talk about Jade and Sean who terrify me. Guys, they <laughs> they really trigger something to me that really upsets me. They're really upsetting to watch. I find them to be scary. As I say, every week I find their rage 
to be so scary. I don't understand how everything escalates so quickly. I don't understand how they've gotten to this place. It, it's really, it's really wild. So the episode starts with Jade lets us know her and Sean are barely speaking and Jade is trying to do like a talking head interview in her living room. And she's like, hey, Sean, can you go outside while I do this? And he's like, well, why do I need to go outside? And she's like, well, because, like, just so I can, like, openly talk and, like, be a little more comfortable with this. And he's like, why? So you can talk about me? And she's like, well, no, but, like, I just want to be able to talk. And it's like, yeah, of course so she can talk about you, dude. That's what the show is. He's being so... They definitely physically fight. There's just no way. The level of anger is so scary and it's so raw and it's it's just very violent it is like everything about the way that they interact is like very violent to me it really it really stresses it really stresses so they're like jade's screaming sean's screaming and eventually they decide that they're just gonna do jade's outside and she's like well you know Sean and I are having problems communicating and him helping pay the bills. (laughs) I want to be like, girl, Sean and you are not having trouble communicating. (laughs) There's no communication problem. There's no bill paying problem. The problem is that Sean is a fucking asshole and doesn't do anything to help at all. And he doesn't pay any bills because he doesn't work because he just plays video games every day. Like what? The way that she's, like, trying to kind of, like, sugarcoat it is just so, girl, that's not going to do, no, that's not what's happening. And the producer is, like, she's, like, well, I'm going to ask him to move out. And the producer's, like, well, like, where is he going to go? Because he doesn't have anywhere to go. And Jade's, like, well, that's not really my problem. And it's, like, well, it is your problem. And you know it's going to be your problem because you can't kick him out. Like, yeah theoretically of course she can kick him out but realistically like she's not going to be able to kick out somewhere who has nowhere to go that's just unfortunately the truth like it's very hard to get rid of a significant other living with you if they have literally nowhere else to go and jade is like i don't really know what i'm supposed to do like why is this my responsibility and you know on one hand i'm like yeah it shouldn't be your responsibility but On the other hand, the reason it's your responsibility is because you let this broke-ass person move into your home without a job. That's why. Why is this your responsibility? Because you chose to have a baby with Sean. Then you chose to stay with Sean. Then you chose to break up with Sean. Then you chose to get back together with Sean. Then you have let him move in and move out of your house a million times. uh, To the point where you almost got an eviction on your record because you moved out of a place he was living in. He just stopped paying rent. He just decided not to pay rent because he didn't have a job. Um, And then when you let him move back in after the last time you kicked him out, like there, that's the re it's your responsibility because you let him live here. (laughs) Here's the thing. If he never moved in the first place, you wouldn't have to be kicking him out. The reason that he doesn't work is because he doesn't have to. Why would he? Because he just deals with Jade stomping around and screaming and then he screams back and then they get over it and he doesn't have to get a job. It's that simple. Why Why would he? Jade rewards all of his bad behavior and it's really tough to watch and also like the longer it goes on the less respect I have for Jade. I mean I don't have a ton of respect for Jade anyway 
but the less sympathy I have for Jade because it's like this is such a mess of your own making and it's not going to get better until you just make him leave and say I don't really care if you have nowhere else to go you cannot sleep here like that's what it has to be and then you don't let him move back in (laughs) because there's not gonna be like she's gonna be like okay well then you have to move out by this point that's not gonna happen you have to get a job by this point that's not gonna happen how many times you know fool me once right like how many times does she have to learn that Sean can't keep a fucking job a million. There's also a moment where Sean is like, well, I can't talk to you about MTV. And he's like, I only get to tell my side when you're here. He's so aggro in this episode. Oof. Apparently, he's also calling her family and telling them that she doesn't parent Chloe. I don't know. I don't understand. I really don't understand um later they get into a huge fight and it's the next day and jade is going out with her friend and chloe's in the house obviously and sean is just sitting in the car (laughs) and she's like you need to come in and he's like why and she's like well i'm going out like our three-year-old is in the home like you need to come inside (laughs) it's so weird and then she goes out to dinner with her friend and her and her friend are just shitting on sean (sighs) I felt for the friend in this moment because I can really identify with that where you just are like so ready to talk shit on your friend's shitty ass partner. Like I've so, 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 so been there. But at the same time, it's like, girl, Jade's not leaving him. (laughs) You need to put your hopes way down because he's not going anywhere. All right, let's bring on home with Miss West Virginia, Leah, who (sighs) I... Okay. I don't really know exactly what I want to say about this. I was thinking it, like, as I watched the episode. So there are some highs in this episode. (laughs) Funny. Uh, Like, when she is getting the Narcan training, I think that's great. Her talking about Narcan on TV is so great. I'm not sure she did the best job explaining it, but it's called Naltrexon, if you don't know. No, it's not. Naltrexon is the thing that I'm on for sugar um and also blocks hold on what's the Narcan real name Nalox Naloxon N-A-L-O-X-O-N-E now Trexon uh is like an opioid blocker but it also blocks alcohol and apparently it also blocks um it like helps with binge eating so I went on it I think I've talked about this I'm on Wellbutrin and then Wellbutrin and Naltrexon together help with like sugar cravings and binge eating and it's really cool. I mean, I've lost weight but like not a ton of weight and it's not like I um it's not like a diet pill and it's definitely not like Adderall where you like just don't eat on it and you just like magically lose weight taking it, but it's really changed my relationship with food and um my impulsivity to like when I, you know, I used to be like, I went Dairy Queen and then that was like what was happening. Like, even if I didn't really want to go there, I'd be like driving myself to Dairy Queen. And now I'm able to like, I don't know, I'll be like, I want Dairy Queen, but then I like don't have to go get it. <laughs> and I can like eat at home, which I could never do before. I just would be like every day I'd leave work, like I'm going to eat the food at home. I'm going to eat the food at home. And then I would still like be driving to like pick up food somewhere. It was like such a weird impulsion. And the Naltrexon really helps me with that. And I don't crave sugar nearly as much. I mean, 
I've been on it now for like four months and it's definitely not working as much as it used to, but it it still works and it's definitely been really, really life-changing for me. Um, together, it's a drug called Contrave, but I'm on like the generic version of it because I'm on Wellbutrin for my ADD. That's the main reason. I'm not on this like for weight loss. I just was on going on Wellbutrin because of my ADD, which it's been really, really helpful for. And the doctor was like, we were talking about food and stuff. And he was like, oh, well, do you want to try this? And it's been really good for me. That's why I was thinking now Trexon. But Naloxon, which is also called Narcan, is... Um, a life-saving drug. Basically, when somebody overdoses, it comes in spray form. And what you do is you spray it up the person's nose and it immediately kicks them out of overdose and sends them into withdrawals. So sometimes you have to be Narcan multiple times. Sometimes they're too far gone for the Narcan to work. I've known people who've been Narcan three or four times, like in one, you know, during one OD uh, before they were revived. But for the most part, if somebody is Odin, you can shoot them up with Narcan up their nose, like Flonase. You know what I mean? It's like a nose spray. And then they like instantly pop out of their OD. The thing is, though, is that it immediately sends you into what's called precipitated withdrawals, which is like withdrawals are really bad, but precipitated withdrawals are the worst thing that you can ever imagine. And you feel like instantly very, very, very sick. Um, which I know, I know this is kind of probably hard to understand, like, why that would be a bad thing if you are not, if you don't have experience being addicted to opiates. Like, I get that sounds kind of crazy because you're like, well, you were overdosing, like, you felt sick then. But usually, like, if you're overdosing on opiates, you don't really feel sick. I mean, maybe you'll feel nauseous. I've never overdosed. But it's not... Being dope sick is, like, the worst feeling in the whole world and, like, every opiate addict's, like, number one fear and, like, the thing that they just, what they're avoiding at all times is, like, being dope sick. And when you get, you know, kicked into precipitated withdrawals, like, you're immediately dope sick. And also, <laughs> the thing is sometimes people get mad because, like, that last bag was their last high, which I know sounds crazy and it, like, doesn't make any sense because if you didn't get Narcan, you'd be dead. But it's, like, not really a rational thought. Like, you're just immediately, like, in the worst pain of your life. And for some people, they, they're not like, oh, I'm so – at the moment, they're not like, oh, I'm so grateful you saved my life. They're actually really angry that they're now dope sick. But Narcan is amazing. It saves so many fucking lives. Um, a lot of states, you can get it for free. A lot of people carry it around. Um, in case they see people that are overdosing, they can administer it. I don't because I don't, I don't live a life where I would see people. I mean, I'd be a lot more likely where I live to like be seen an alcoholic, like, I don't know, pass out or something on the street, like walking somewhere. I don't know. I'm not in a, I mean, they're definitely, don't get me wrong. We have a high opiate percentage, but not in like a, I would see people in my day-to-day -day usually that I think are high. I did recently see somebody coming out of a bathroom in the gas station. It was a girl, which is why I noticed it, I think, who is so high. And it just actually made me pretty sad because um, she was like my age. And I just like looked at her and was like, I know what you're just doing in there. And it was, that was sad. But for the most part, I don't know. I don't feel, I mean, I guess I could carry around Narcan. It wouldn't be bad for me to carry around Narcan. I'm just... Not sure that I would ever need to use it, but I guess it's a better safe than sorry thing. But the idea is that the more people who carry it around, the better, because if you are 
you know, like, I think a lot of people live in, I've had friends that, like, live in cities that carry it around because they're way more likely than I am in the suburbs to see somebody overdosing. I think, honestly, the main reason is because I'm in my car. Like, how I get around is in my car. I'm not on foot very often. Like, I go for walks around my neighborhood or, like, I'll walk in a shopping center, but I'm not on foot very often. So I'm not, like, seeing people, you know, just living a typical suburban life. Um, So a lot of my friends that live in cities will carry it around and... I mean, the best thing that you can do is get Narcans into the hands of people who are actively using drugs. It's a form of harm reduction, you know, to be able to Narcan the person that you're using with is really important and you can Narcan them before the ambulance gets there. And it's just really, it's a really incredible drug that has really saved a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. So hearing Leah talk about that was really great. The rest of the stuff. Okay. I I saw a Reddit comment that actually like really, I was like, fuck. There, it, basically the post was like something, talking about the way that Leah talks about her addiction. And somebody said, I kind of think what did they say exactly she talks like she's newly sober and maybe she is i want to see i this was like just the other day so i'm sure i can find it and really what i should be doing is putting this on here we go (laughs) it's putting it on pause to do it okay um this is what the comment said. I think it's because she's way more newly sober than she says. I think she's very proud of all the changes she made and is trying on a new life and it's her whole world. It's pretty common to want to offer to support to others and stigmas about your struggle and be hopeful. She wasn't honest about herself and seems to be sharing more. Yeah. I, this really strikes a chord with me um, because Leah is acting like somebody in early recovery. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but I think my friends that are listening, (laughs) the people that are listening to this that are in recovery from drug addiction or alcoholism and are active in like a recovery community, let me know if you have this vibe too. There is something very much to Leah that gives off six months sober vibes. Now, in theory, do I think she's six months? Like, from, like, her behavior? I I don't know. I don't really know. I don't know what I think Leah is um, when it comes to, like, where she's in her timeline. Because as I've said, it'd be impossible to ignore the fact that, like, for multiple years, Leah's been doing so much better. Like, so much better. But I'm wondering if maybe within the last year, there has been a um, a stoppage of something that we're not aware of, which is why now she is suddenly, it's not that she's suddenly talking about it, because I understand, like, that she didn't want to talk about it on air, whatever, whatever, like, I get that, and I get, like, the idea of sharing it later, and now being open and honest, and wanting to talk about it when you can, I totally get that, but there's something in her delivery, and the way she's talking about it, and how she's like, I have to help people, because of what I've been through and I can help others. And I'm just like, but why now? It's an unusual feeling to get multiple years into recovery. (laughs) And I say this as someone with six and a half years, (laughs) because when you are that far into recovery, usually, I mean, a lot of people are still very active in recovery circles with 
a long time sober. That's not what I'm saying, but like that urge where you're like, I have to do everything I can to help people because like I can help them is something that you definitely feel in the first two years that after the first two years I found in my experience and I think with most of my friends and the people that I know, it diminishes, this urge diminishes where you feel like you have to help everybody and like you have this knowledge and this power which you have to give away. And I think it'd be really unusual for somebody that, let's say, I mean, Leah went to rehab in what, 2015 or 2016? Like she's claiming to be four or five years sober, which... Everybody gets to define their own sobriety. I mean, I, in general, don't love the use of the word sober if you're still using mind-altering substances. I personally think that kind of the best way to say it is clean for my drug of choice. Um, And I don't include maintenance drugs in this, by the way, like Suboxone or Methadone. I I don't know. I think if you're still drinking, it's or even smoking pot, it's weird to call yourself sober. I think saying like clean for my drug of choice, no longer abusing drugs, uh, in recovery, I think all of that is like totally cool and fine. And the reality is, is everybody gets to define their own journey. And it's not for me to tell somebody that they're not sober. But for me, I don't, I think that if I, for whatever reason, like started drinking or smoking again, like I would not be calling myself sober. I think that sober means like free from mind altering substances, um, not just like no longer abusing them, where I think the better words for that are, like I said, in recovery, clean from my drug of choice, no longer abusing drugs. Like I just think there are better ways to describe it. So if Leah has been in recovery for six, five years, it's just weird. (laughs) It's weird. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me that all of a sudden she is like so gung-ho about talking about it. Now, I know the reason that she opened up about it, obviously, is because she wrote a book and is trying to sell a book, wrote a book in quotes, using my bunny ears. You know what I mean? Like, she's trying to sell her book. I totally get that, which is like what I thought at first was going on. But now with her like getting trained for Narcan and like constantly talking about like recovery on social media and like this is what recovery is like and I need to help people it's not maybe the other thing is like maybe this is not what I'm because I'm like kind of removed from the experience of um getting into recovery and then like not being associated with recovery at all until many years in maybe I just like and picking up on something else. Maybe what I'm picking up on is because for so long Leah didn't talk about it, that now that she's talking about it and getting like such a positive reaction, maybe that's why she's leaning into it and all of a sudden it wants to talk about it so much and it's like this huge big thing. Like that makes a little, I guess that could definitely be it. Like now that like the dam has broken, right? Although she has been talking about it longer than this because remember... I talked about on this podcast like a year and a half ago or almost two years ago when she had Jeremy on that podcast she was doing and she shared that she was addicted. She had been addicted to pills like she should. That must have been in 2018. So I I don't I don't know. I just think it's weird that she is suddenly like so gung ho about something that has supposedly been a part of her life for such a significant amount of time. Because usually when like you are that 
all about recovery and the way that she is and like talking about it and the way that you're talking about it, it's because it's like pretty new to your life and it feels like the only thing going on in your life in a lot of ways. And it's like the obviously the most important thing. And I would still say like my sobriety is the most important thing in my life. I would I still believe that a hundred percent. I hope I believe that forever, for every like I hope every day for the rest of my life, I believe that sobriety is the most important thing in my life. I really do believe like if I don't put sobriety first and everything else is set like I can't have anything else if sobriety isn't first. I I really do believe that. But I also am not like I need to go help every person. Like I need to be sharing my story at all times. Like I don't know. For me getting sober, it's like the point of getting sober was that I could live a life and once you like are living I feel like once for most people once you are living life sober for a significant amount of time like the aspect of like I need to share the message of recovery just like wanes a little bit it doesn't go away but it doesn't feel like the most important thing in your life because what recovery gives you is other things in your life the thing is when you're in early recovery a lot of times you don't have anything else you know what I mean like you don't have good relationships with your family you don't have significant others you don't really have friends you're just making friends in the rooms and like you you don't have like a career and as you get those things like the the need for this to be like your public brand falls to the wayside a little bit so maybe what's going on is that because Leah didn't get sober obviously in the rooms the rooms means the 12 steps so she wasn't around other people in recovery and she wasn't openly talking about it Maybe she's just experiencing what I experienced when I got out of rehab, but she didn't get to experience that because then she, well, let's be real, when she got out of rehab, she was still getting high. We've all seen that post-rehab season where TR is living with her. She's fucking high that whole season. But after that, like, she wasn't open about it and she probably didn't have friends in recovery. And I wonder if talking about it means that, like, now she's getting a ton of attention, like, positive attention on social media for it. I think is what's happening and like getting positive articles written about it and getting asked to talk about it. I think for her, that's like been really validating. So that could be it. I guess that could be it. There's just something off about it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to quite pinpoint it, but there's something weird about the way that she talks about this all, considering she's supposedly been in recovery for like five plus years. Okay. The other thing we need to talk about, well, there are two more things. Um, One little moment is we get a scene of Addie, like she shoved Mike in a gum pack. And Addie's like to the producer, she's like, gum got in here. And Leah doesn't even look up from her fucking phone. And the producer's like, can you take that off? And she's like, why? And Leah's just like tap, 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 tapping on her phone, not paying attention. And the guy's like, because that's mine. And you like, you messed it up, so you need to fix it, and you need to put it somewhere. And then finally, Leah turns around with the bag and is like, put the gum in here. You know better, Addie. Like, Addie almost ruined, like, a very expensive mic pack. Well, I actually don't know how much it is, but she doesn't give a fuck about disciplining that child. And MTV posted that clip, and Leah, like, posted some laughing emojis, like, oh, Addie, stop it. She's got to stop it with this this Addie is sassy thing. It's not it's not good. It's getting she's starting to get heat about it, I think, like in about the bad attitude. And I think that this scene was in particular a very bad look for her. And so I'm curious to see if in the future she's going to try and look more stern. I've 
that like most a lot of kids are brats and I think that like it has more to do with personality than parenting in a lot of cases like I think some of the best parents in the world can have fucking asshole brat kids like I (laughs) I think some kids are just like that and so I don't think that like if you have a bratty kid it's because you're a bad parent inherently like there are plenty of great parents where their kids have like super super bratty moments my best friend, for example, I think is a great parent. And her, sometimes her kids are fucking annoying and bratty because they're kids, right? Because kids are annoying and bratty. But w- the fact that Leah doesn't seem to be making any effort to discipline her, the fact that Addie essentially laughed in Leah's face last week when she talked about disciplining her and her father, she was just like, you guys aren't going to do anything. The fact that like Leah wasn't embarrassed by that, I guess because I'm, she's on camera all the time and MTV is always around. But like, I would have been really embarrassed if my kid did that. And the fact that, like, there was no punishment for that, like, that is a punishable offense, in my opinion. Like, you on purpose tried to ruin somebody else's property? Like, that should be treated seriously. Like, that's not, it's not nothing, right? Like, she, I mean, and Addie's, like, what, seven now? She's not three. She had, like, the forethought of, chewing her gum didn't they say she's in second grade like she had the forethought of chewing her gum taking it out of her mouth and like shoving it into the mic and then for attention like telling the camera guy and the fact that then the camera guy had to handle that was something I found very I was judging Leah for that more so than for Addie's behavior because like especially with gum like kids put gum in weird places like kids are fucking crazy, you know, kids are brats and they misbehave. But the fact that Leah didn't take the rein there, like if I heard, I was sitting in the front tap, tap, tapping on my phone and I heard her say that, like my head would have snapped around so quickly. And like, what, what happened? You did what? Do you think you're allowed to do that? Do you know you're not allowed to do that? Like there would be an instant dialogue and conversation there. Like I, Anytime I'm around kids and I hear them doing something like that, like, I'm, my head always snaps around and I'm like, what did you just say? Like, what did you do? Like, I, not to, like, parent for somebody else, but, like, if I am, you know, around a kid, I'm in charge of a kid babysitting or when I'm with my nieces because I'm, my best friend is giving me permission to basically parent her kids when I'm there, like, because she knows I'll always default to her and we also have, we think exactly alike, so I'm never... (laughs) there's never anything that I do that she's like don't do that with my kids ever so like but there are plenty of times where I like turn my head I'm like what did you just say you think that's okay to say like not in a mean way but like why why do you think that's okay and the fact that Leah didn't do that and didn't take charge on her child's really bad behavior because that's that's really bad behavior like shoving mic or shoving gum into a microphone pack is like that's like next level bad behavior. It's way worse than like shoving it under the seat. It's almost like putting in somebody's hair. Like you can't do that. And Leah not even batting an eye at it got a judgment from me. Okay. So then the other thing that happened was Leah has decided that she needs to talk with Jeremy about this, that it's her and Jeremy need to, or excuse me, (laughs) Corey, that her and Jeremy need to clear the air when it comes to her addiction. And once again, it like, this goes back to, this goes back to why I am confused about Leah's timeline. Because like, 
I don't need to clear the air with anybody. <laughs> I cleared the air. Well, I mean, I worked the steps, so I cleared the air when I did my ninth step, which is I made amends wherever possible unless to do so would hurt them or others. <laughs> because in step eight, I made a thorough list of all those who have harmed. And then in step nine, I made amends to them whenever possible. So I cleared the air. I mean, I finished my steps at like a year sober, I think. So I cleared the air back then. And obviously, like, I had to continue making amends for a while because, like, I would, I honestly, like, forgot about stuff. And then something would come up. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I owe that person an amends. But that really hasn't happened in maybe three years. I'm sure it could, it could still happen. Like, for sure, it could still happen. But for the most part, and especially with the significant people in my life, like, there's nobody that I have to clear the air with because that's just not how I live. You know what I mean? I already did that because it was very important for me to do it early in recovery. So what confuses me is that, so Leah is only openly talking about it now, right? But like, she went to rehab many years ago. So wouldn't you think that like, in the beginning of her process of being better is when she would have cleared the air with Corey? I... I also didn't like the way that she phrased it. I hope that I wrote this down. Um, she says, I look back at the moment. Well, first of all, Corey, you can tell, is like, okay, like, we're doing this for the cameras. Like, he's not mean about it. He's very complimentary towards her. But you can tell this is, like, not Corey's idea. And Leah's like, well, you know, like... I, it's time to clear the air about my struggle with addiction. And Corey's just like, they're at drop off. And Leah like confronts him with this. And he's like, well, you know, like, I didn't know what was going on back then. I didn't know all the details, but I've seen how far you progress and how far you come. And it's really great. Like he was really nice about it. And this is what Leah says. I look back at that moment and I wish all of us, including your wife, could have handled it better and communicated better and provided that safe space for me as an addict. Corey's response is, well, we were very supportive, but our support turned to anger, but we could have communicated better. I thought Corey's um, response was very generous. Personally, I, when Leah said that he owed her, well, okay, first of all, let's start with and your wife. I didn't like that. I didn't like her calling Miranda your wife. I just thought it, you know, it just was not great in my opinion. The fact that Leah's apology, <laughs> this is how you know Leah doesn't work a program, because that wasn't an apology. It was like a, we all needed to do better. How about this is what Leah says to Corey. Hey, Corey, I'm really fucking sorry for the danger I put our children in. I'm sorry that I wouldn't let you take those kids out of that dangerous situation and put them in a safe space. I'm sorry that I lied to you about my drug use when all you were trying to do was protect our children. I'm so grateful for you that you went and got custody because I wasn't willing to give that up. And that was my bottom. That was a rock bottom for me. And that really was like part of my journey to recovery is losing that full custody. And I'm so grateful for the fact that you stepped in and protected our daughters when I was unable to. Thank you for not humiliating me constantly on national television. Because if you guys will remember, Corey said very little on TV, although she's still mad that Corey and um, Jeremy met up that one time and talked about her addiction on TV. But for the most part, (laughs) Corey didn't share shit. (laughs) Corey didn't say shit. And, like, instead of, how about also, 
I'm so grateful to your wife for raising my children, even though I fucked her husband shortly after they got married. Now, of course, Corey has his part in that, and that's between him and Miranda. But the fact that Leah thinks that her clearing the air involves the fuck-ups that Corey had? No. No, 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 no. That's not what accountability is. Leah talk, 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 talks in her therapy talk about accountability, accountability. I'm clearing the air. Accountability. Accountability is actually verbalizing the things that you did wrong, recognizing them, apologizing them for them, and changing your behavior and not repeating the same mistakes. And Leah's done about half of that, right? Like, as far as we know, she hasn't repeated that same those same mistakes, and that's great. But she still acts like Corey snatched custody from her. She's still mad about it. What the fuck does she mean make a safe space for me as an addict? What does that mean? She wouldn't even admit that there was a problem. What safe space were they supposed to make for her? Leah was driving around high with those kids in the car. Leah was violently fighting with Jeremy. Maybe not violently, but scarily fighting with Jeremy to the fact that like the girls were hiding in the the pantry because they were so scared of Jeremy and Leah's fighting. Leah was not supervising those kids. She wasn't getting them to alley to physical therapy. She wasn't getting them to school. They were and they were five years old cooking their own breakfast. Leah was a fucking drug addict taking care of those kids and not letting Corey step in and help them. She made Corey go to court. But Corey didn't create a safe space for her? What? And the fact that she even included Miranda here, uh, look, Miranda made a choice to stay with Corey after he fucked Leah, right? And that choice she made means that she needs to accept Leah and that Leah is always going to be around. I totally, totally believe that. But was it wrong for her when, like, this has been like a, it was like a year since that happened, if that when all of the drug stuff started going down, then they find out that the girls are in unsafe living conditions. If you'll remember, Addie wandered away from the house and had to be brought home by the police. Um, as I said, Leah's driving around high with those kids in the car. Leah's moving men into her home that they don't know. Like, is it the worst thing in the world that Miranda wasn't like, okay, well, now let's all work on it and become best friends. I think probably what happened was Miranda was trying to move past it. And then while they're trying to move past it, Leah gets addicted to pills and all of their energy has to go towards literally saving the girls. So I just, I don't like how she included Miranda in that. I don't like that at all. The fact that she put it on Corey and Miranda for not communicating with her. Leah, you don't, you can't communicate with an addict in active addiction. That's the whole fucking problem. When she's like, you didn't communicate. Corey set up straight. Are you addicted to pills? And Leah said, no. What was he supposed to do? What was he supposed to do? He confronted her and she would not admit that there was a problem. That's not his wife. That's his ex-wife. He's not responsible for her emotional needs. He's responsible for protecting their children. And the fact that she still, to this day, cannot acknowledge that Corey really stepped in and did for those girls what she could not do for herself, it shows that she doesn't take accountability. If I was Corey, I would have been like, go fuck yourself. I mean, in my head. I hope he went home and he said, Miranda, you will never guess what Leah just said. Leah tried to say that we didn't create a safe space for her. Leah, that's not your fucking job. And this is how you also know that Leah doesn't go to real therapy. 
This is how you know that Leah goes to her little cult therapy and reads like self-help books and also has the ego the size of fucking Texas because she believes that she um, has the ability to help everyone. That's a whole other thing. I feel like Leah like really thinks that she's like, I think because she doesn't actually know many people in recovery because she doesn't, she doesn't associate with people in recovery. She's not in the rooms. She isn't active in any like, uh, harm reduction circles. I think that she really thinks she like recreated the re- the wheel by uh getting into recovery and that like her story is so powerful that it must be shared because she will save lives. It's kind of like how Amber talks and that's like I think something that you grow out of usually like the longer you're sober, the less you feel like you can save anybody's life. You, it's important to share your story. But like the less you feel like I must share this because I will save lives if I do. Um, There's something very egotistical about it all. I just could not believe that she had the balls to say that to Corey. You didn't create a safe space for me. What? Now it would be one thing if Leah went to Corey and Leah said, Corey, I have a fucking pill problem. I don't know what to do. I like I need you to take the girls and then he took the girls and then, like, never let Leah see those girls again. That would be, that would be worth talking about. But as far as I can tell, Corey didn't do a damn thing wrong. Was he, like, the number one perfect person? No. But he was, like, what, 22 years old, 23 years old when this happened? With three young kids? Remember, at that time, he just had that little preemie Remy. She was born, like, five and a half weeks early. I just, I don't, I truly don't get why she doesn't get this. I mean, I do get why she doesn't get this because she doesn't have anybody. Like, okay, I, the longer I say sober, the less I think that the 12 steps is for everyone or honestly, even most people. It really worked for me and I think it's amazing if it works for you, but it doesn't work for anyone. I think Leah personally would really benefit from the 12 steps. I think Leah would really benefit from some so, um, some strong sponsoring. I think Leah would really benefit from doing a fourth and fifth step. Fourth step is when you take your inventory. Fifth step is when you share it with somebody else and you can look at your resentment and your patterns and you're part of everything. And then she would really benefit from eight and nine and that's when you make amends. Like if I was Leah's sponsor and I heard her say that her husband didn't create a safe space for her, I would have been like, what? What do you mean? Did you create a safe space for him? Like, she's still very much talking like she is the only one that matters here. And the fact that, like, her girls are not the main part of this conversation is very bizarre to me. It's very bizarre because most people that are in active recovery and really, like, really taking that egotistical addict outlook out of their lives because as addicts, we are inherently egotistical because our addiction is the number one thing and fueling that addiction is basically all that matters and everything else comes second to that. Um, even if you really do love and care for other things, like they they just can't compete with the addiction. That's the whole point of being an addict and what an addict is, right? So when it comes to like the fact that she's still putting herself, her communication, her relationship with Corey ahead, you would think you would think that she would be grateful for everything that happened, grateful the fact that she still sees the girls, grateful for how far they've come, grateful for how forgiving Corey has been, grateful for how forgiving Miranda has been. Mm-mm. 
I don't get it. I really, I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree. And I thought Corey was very generous to say that they could have communicated better. Because of course that's true, right? Like, but the reality is, is how do you communicate with an active drug addict? You don't. You can't. It's very hard. And I actually really liked what Corey said when our support turned to anger. I thought that was some real shit. Because I bet Corey and Miranda were like, well, we need to get her help. Like, I think that when you are dealing with an addict and it's somebody close to you, even if it's an ex that you're not very fond of, but they're in your lives, like most people's first thought is like, how do we get them help? But then it turns to anger when they won't do anything about it. And you're the one that has to deal with everything and pick up the pieces. So of course, like, of course, Corey didn't communicate well with her. And of course, his support turned to anger. What else was supposed to happen? She was putting his kids in danger. I don't think she gets that. I still don't think that she understands like how in danger she put her kids. I don't, which is why I think she would benefit from an inventory and working and like reading a fifth step with a sponsor who could really, they could really get into it. I still think, I mean, I know because of what she says, Leah believes that Corey snatched custody away from her. She really does. She thinks that, like, this is all Corey's fault. And I have never heard her say, you know, I, because of my addiction, my girls could no longer live with me full time because it wasn't safe for them. And that really was upsetting. But it's what had to be done because I was putting them in danger. I've never heard her say, I drove around high with the kids. And here's the thing. I see a bunch of people online say this. Well, Leah doesn't owe an explanation. And to that, I say hogwash. Of course she does. Of course she does. Not just because she's on reality TV, which is kind of what I've always felt. Like, if you're going to put yourself on reality TV and then lie on the show, then what what are we doing here? But okay, fine. If she's not talking about it, she's not talking about it. Okay. If you're going to sell a book that you're billing as the true story and the whole truth, and then you're going to go on this little campaign about your recovery and how you're so much better and how you want to help people, then you need to be fucking honest. And you need to share everything. Look, do you... That's not true. You don't need to share everything. But like when it comes to stuff like this, if you are talking about this, then you need to be honest about what you're talking about. And I don't think Leah is. I think Leah is a compulsive. mm, Compulsive might be too strong. I think Leah lies a lot. A lot. I think she still has a lying problem and it gets in the way of her like being able to be honest about her recovery because I think she probably lies to herself too. I would be very curious to know if Leah thinks that she ever put the girls in danger or if Leah... Um, will admit that she shouldn't have had custody of the girls. I'd be very curious to hear, like, a, somebody directly ask her that and, like, she has to directly answer. That I'd really like to know. Do they still do write-ins for the reunions? <laughs> I'd be really, really curious about that because I, I just, I, I don't think she thinks it. All right, guys, that's it for this week. I hope everybody has a good week. I will be, next week is Christmas, right? But I'm going to be recording an episode over Christmas and New Year's. I mean, I'm not planning on taking holidays off. I don't, I don't think. I'm taking the week off work. So like the week in between Christmas and New Year's. So I'm not really planning on taking time off the podcast because I'll have time to record in between see my family. But It will be after Christmas the next time we talk. That's so crazy. I hope everybody has a nice Christmas. I will be 
with my dad and my stepmom because if you guys don't know, my dad is Christian and we do Christmas. Um, we're going to have prime rib on Christmas Eve and then open gifts on Christmas morning. I got my dad and stepmom really good gifts, so I'm very excited. I hope they like them and I am looking forward to 2021 as I hope we all are. Things aren't going to be so different, but you know, the vaccine is coming. One of my best friends who's a nurse in Minnesota gets her vaccine on Monday. I'm, well, first, just safety-wise, I'm so thrilled for her, but it's exciting. It's really exciting. Um, So, you know, here's to a happy and healthy Christmas and New Year's, and I will talk to you guys. I can't believe in two weeks it will be a new year. That's so crazy. But I will talk to you guys next week. Okay, love you. Bye. Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. 